0: Welcome to the HR Resource Podcast.
1: for me during the day, they'd bring back all their winnings and I would give them a piece of the action. Now, I didn't know percentages, so it was probably like first or second grade. But uh, I think my parents then knew I was probably going to be, you know, an entrepreneur. Um, So I started a company right out of college. I was in the NYU business school, started right out of school at 21 years old. But you know, there's another, there's a really serious theme that comes out of Silicon Valley, which is a trend starts with a single data point. The average tenure at a job is now changing forever. 20% of the time should be spent actually finding people, using our tools, and 80% of the time should be spent actually having a conversation. I want to be a client's first phone call. That old model of paying a headhunter, you know, 30% of a salary for someone that's going to last, you know, two years, that's that's broken. Really serious high-tech companies are going from a 2% churn to a 15% churn this is not going away. This problem is here to stay. And the problem is that we are now entering a job hopper economy. You want to be where the hockey puck is going, not where it is.
0: Our guest in this podcast is a resident of the Garden State, New Jersey. Evan Soane is an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur of note, cutting his teeth at the early stages of being a first grader, flipping baseball cards, not himself of course, he was organising his friends to make a turn for him, and indeed was very successful at it. As indeed he has been throughout his career, working his way through college and through university and getting to a point where he's now CEO of Recruiter.com, an organisation that is turning recruitment on its head in a good way. It's time in this industry that things need to change and needs to be systemized, organized, and in a way that delivers for employers, recruiters, and essentially candidates. So, enjoy our chat, enjoy meeting Evan Soane, and let's understand what's happening and what's about to happen to the world of recruitment. HR resource with David Lord and guests. They love talking about people. But in a good way. I am absolutely delighted to welcome to the next episode of our Ata Resource podcast somebody who has a passion about a topic which is actually close to an awful lot of our hearts right now. It's recruitment. I know there's a lot more to Evan's own than just recruitment, and I'm sure he's yeah. going to tell us a bit about that and we'll get to that. Um, but I think when we get into the meat of uh, our discussion today, it will form around. His main role at the moment is CEO of Recruitment.com, a fascinating business, which I am really looking forward to learn about. So over to you, Evan, welcome to the podcast.
1: Uh, David, thank you so much for having me on your show. And uh, you know it's really an honor to be uh, not just on your show, but really to be the uh, CEO of Recruiter.com. It's, uh, it's really at the, the right place at the right time.
0: You should say so. Um, we're going to get to that. But I, first and foremost, I'm always really fascinated. I love, I love people. I'm fascinated by the stories, the journeys, the, the how we got into these things. When I was I was somebody, people would always ask you the question, family gatherings, and they say, well, what's David going to be? And I was six. And I always wanted to be a doctor. That didn't work out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what, what about um,
1: young Evan? What, what, what did young Evan want to do? What, when you were at Kimmy Garden, what, what did, did, did you have an answer for those questions? Yeah, you know, so I... I I had been, uh, I, I think when I was a little kid, I really wanted to be a teacher. Uh, I, I really was motivated by some really fantastic uh, teachers that I had in elementary school. Um, and I, the way they interacted, the way they moved me uh, uh, intellectually, educationally, and, and I really thought I was going to be a teacher when I was a kid. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, uh, there was a, a really fun story. I, I'm not a sports guy at all. I follow nothing. Um, but, uh, when I was in first grade or second grade, uh, and I'm kind of old, uh, we used to flip cards, right? So that was like a game, certainly yeah, in the U sure. S you would flip baseball cards. Yeah. And, and I had friends that they knew every color or every team and they would see the name. Oh, it's this person. Oh, he's on this team and it's the color. And so what I would do is I would actually stake them every day with like a, a handful uh, like a you know this much uh, a couple of fingerful of cards yeah, and they would yeah. flip for me during the day they'd bring back all their winnings and i would give them a piece of the action now i didn't know percentages so it was probably like first or second grade but uh, i think my parents then knew i was probably going to be uh, you know a, an entrepreneur at some level or another so i thought that but was actually the, a funny story as the entrepreneur
0: do you know what i used to do we're not a million miles away from each other i i actually we had um, Sticker cards, football, they were called Panini. So we, and and in 1970, I want to say 1978, I've actually got the album here. It's the very first one they produced and I filled it. Um, and you had to buy bubblegum. And in the bubblegum packets came the, the, uh, the, the stickers that you put into your football thing. And, and uh, it was mad. Everybody was crazy for it. Um, In the very early stages of that, when it was just taking off, I decided that I would create my own stickers. So I made up footballers, made, gave them names, gave them football clubs that were completely fantastic, crazy, and sold them. So, <laughs> so at the time, two p a, a card, a, which was actually a packet, a packet of crisps, would uh, would would. So, yeah, that's great. Was, <laughs> that's fantastic. That's just brought that memory back. Yeah, Um, and I, so it's a similar sort of thing. The baseball thing obviously was a great Football exactly the same. Right. Thing.
1: Right, and then, um, and then I worked through college. Uh, I was actually a programmer through college, so uh, how does
0: that uh, work? So you worked your way through.
1: I, I was really I was going to school like two days and two nights per week, and actually working three days a week. Right. So I was working about thirty hours a week uh, as a programmer, and what was uh, I was doing some really interesting projects. I was actually getting on a, at one point in time. I was actually getting on a plane like every Tuesday to fly to Boston for a client. And like, what do you? What's your look? I got to go home and study. I got like <laughs> tests and stuff. Um, and then I I took a new venture management class in uh, in college, and the the project from that class actually became my first company. Um, so I started a company right out of college. I was in the NYU Business School. Started right out of school at 21 years old. I took two engineers that I had worked with while in college uh, at the company, and we started a company. I, I was 21. One was. You know, 35, Dell was 40, something like that. Uh
0: was this Logics?
1: Logics, yeah, yeah. L O G I X. Yeah, yeah. In those days, like anything with an X was like really cool.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah, Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, uh, that was like that was really, really cool. Um, had I known we would have kept the uh we would have kept the domain name all this all these years. But that would have been really interesting. Um and the company really was Really, in mobile mobile technology, so uh, mobile devices, mobile applications, uh, we really saw that the uh, the use of these palm tops and this sort of predates, you know, all the things we see now uh, was, yeah, all all those things really was going to invade the professional uh, work life and how could we leverage these tools not just as an organizer and as a calculator, uh, but really to improve. Uh, processes. Um, and we we got involved with like TD Ameritrade on the trading side. We did one of the first wireless email systems way back when. Wow. And um we did field force automation and then Salesforce automation. So really ended up automating uh the pharmaceutical Salesforce industry. So in, in a variety of ways.
0: You put in place.
1: Yeah, it, it was pretty incredible. Um you know I actually got involved with like the uh the the FDA getting approval for signature capture, like the PDMA, like it was just really, uh, really interesting stuff. Um, and, uh, in 1998, we really grew the company very, very quickly. And in 1998, uh, really saw that the pharmaceutical companies and, and the, inter- it was getting easier to do what we were doing. Like a lot of why we had this advantage, it was hard to do it. And the the technology was catching up to make it easier. So we really recognized, look, we have this great market presence. We had like 80% market cap, 20% market capture, 80% of the total mar- market. Like it was really at a very well position. So either we're going to raise money to like expand the business or get acquired. And we decided in 1998 to get acquired, sold off two of the a- areas of the business that we already had, and then got acquired by Dun & Bradstreet uh, in, uh, in December of 98. Um then stay there for the uh, appropriate period of time. Uh, left, got pulled out by uh, by a venture capital company. Come join a company, um, and I and I, I've really been uh, the the fortune to work with some really incredibly talented people. You know, from the uh, smartest folks on the East Coast to the you know smartest folks on the West Coast. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, I, I've I've had been involved with companies that got acquired by uh, by Verifone. Uh, by Message Labs, by Symantec. Uh, most recently, I was out in Silicon Valley working with a company called Point, P-O-Y-N-T. I was a smart terminal payment provider um, that got acquired by GoDaddy. Um, and then just to make the long story a little shorter, um, in, the, uh, it, it, in my spare time, um, I, I had a brother who died in 1993 and he was a Wall Street trader. And uh, his name was Irisone. And uh, when he died, his boss a- and friends Uh, And I started the Irisone Foundation, the Irisone Conference Foundation. They had this idea for a conference series. um, And uh, we really launched the first, you know, in his name, launched really the first sort of hedge fund conference. So everything you see now where there's a 15-minute conference that we, you know, these guys invented that whole thing. Like back in 95 was the first conference. And I was
0: going to come on to that because I have... Uh, I tried, tried, tried to do my best, best professional job. Hats on as being a, a, a podcaster. Do a bit of research, obviously, and I, I was absolutely knocked out by the amount of money that you've raised. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's now close 20, to about about a hundred million. 20, Twenty-six years. So, how much have you done it? We've done about about a hundred million. Wow. On a global basis for pediatric cancer and related diseases. So, right. what, what what happened was so the New York one, the the big event is in New York. It was in May, and again pandemic, we'll have to decide what, you know, what actually happens. We've been virtual. Um, but like some of the, you know, incredible calls, financial calls have been at this conference. So the decimation of Lehman Brothers in 2008 by David Einhorn at the Irish Stone Conference, uh, Herbalife, which was Bill Ackman's uh, whole short thing with Carl Icahn. I introduced him at that event. Again, you know, uh, another stone conference um and we we've had a number of these uh shamath papayas long on amazon a bunch of years ago again at the iris stone conference so it's a uh, um it, it's it's really been a thrill and uh, i think in my brother's memory it now expanded into now 11 other cities uh 11 cities 10 countries 5 continents so there's one in australia there's one in israel there's one in hong kong uh really uh, london monaco uh Geneva, Sao Paulo, Canada—just amazing—and all the money, all the money stays local. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but but is focused on you know pediatric, either cancer or related childhood diseases.
0: It's just amazing, and and I think what what you've been able to create out of something that was so tragic for somebody to lose their life at such a young age—was he about twenty-nine? He was. He, he was
1: one one day short of twenty-nine. So so this is really his twenty. This is, it's been 28 years. So, you know, this is really a difficult year for the family. Like he, he will now be, has, has passed almost as, you know, by the end of this year, as long as he's been alive, as long as he was alive, no. you know, and uh, you know, the, 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 the statement I, I would often make is, and we've done really great work around the New York area, you know, and beyond in terms of actual impact that we've made to children's lives. And it's been amazing watching the impact that we had to science to families to genomic research to uh, we work very closely with the rockefeller university medical center you know so it's really the impact that we're making really in his memory has really just been uh, truly a uh, spectacular and again just surrounded by you know phenomenal people my partners in the foundation the founders of the foundation uh, all the scientists were involved just really I, i've really been blessed to really work with fantastic people
0: the work you you guys are doing that is helping to support the advancements that are being made in this, this field right now, which of course is is so important. I think we we run a stand up to cancer charity in the UK, which which runs the stat that one in two of us is going to get cancer at some point of our life. So I mean it's just you we we are we are going to face it the fam every family is going yeah. to face a situation. Yeah,
1: you know, it. but uh, not not to be gloom and doom, but you know the uh, the actual amount of money that goes to pediatric cancer research pales relative to yeah. the rest of cancer research. So we really thought that, gee, you know, how could we make an impact? We're making a bit, you know, we make an impact because we're very, very focused in, in our grant making, um, you know, and look, when grandma has cancer or grandpa, it, it's terrible and it's very sad and affects, you know, a few people. Uh, when a child has cancer, it affects the entire family, the sibling, bro- it's it's really, it's it, yeah. it it's really at a, and again, I'm not, I'm not diminishing the loss of of adult cancer one bit, but you know, having seen this firsthand, not just in my own family but in other families, it, it really is you know the impact is very long, very long, and very long lasting. That's
0: tremendous work. That's, that's all credit to you for that. Uh, thank you. One, one of the things that I was going to ask you about you you gave us a wonderful um, outline of your your trajectory, and um, I don't think I mean I, I've held the role of CEO of a law firm and, and as an interim executive. Um, and I guess from my personal perspective, I didn't feel that I would be in a position to do that unless I'd got some miles under the clock to do that. At what point do you think, or, or, or did you think at age 21 that you were ready to take on a, the role yeah. of a CEO and, and take charge? Or, or, or when did you actually feel that you, you, had, you fitted that suit? You actually, you actually were comfortable in those shoes?
1: Uh, about a year ago. <laughs> I, I really...
0: Yeah, 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 um... you relate.
1: So really about a year ago, I, I, I think that when I took the CEO role at Recruiter.com, and we could talk about that in, in a second. That's really when I said, okay, this is probably the right time. Um, I was naive. I knew nothing at 21, um, really. And I'm glad I'm glad it was successful and and, and the whole bit, but I, I really knew nothing. Um, my I, I read books all day long. Um, Tom Peters was my part. You know, really, it was oh, yeah. like very, very difficult. Um you make a lot of mistakes. You make them quickly. That's a good Tom Peters rule. I'm aging myself because I don't think anyone's quoted him probably in years, but he would say, you know, make mistakes, but just make them quickly. Right. You know, uh, uh, aim, fire, aim, aim, you know, aim, fire, aim, fire, aim, fire. Um, So I I think that was, uh, you know, really an interesting early experience. And then I really got to watch interesting CEOs and the way they behave. And, you know, you pick something up from everybody. And, you know, when you're, I always tell my kids, you know, you could, if you're not learning something from everybody, then you're not listening hard enough. And there's something to learn from everybody, you know, and I had a CEO at Verifone, uh, Paul Gallant, and, uh, you know, uh, I, he, he introduced the word, the expression, you know, you want to be a customer's first phone call. And I talk about that at work all the time, at, at work all the time. They, you know, I want to be a client's first phone call and I know I'm successful when I am a client's first phone call. And in the recruiting world, no one was ever a client's first phone call. It's almost, and again, I'm not poo-pooing it and I, I really don't want to make a generalization, but often it was a little bit more commoditized. And I'm like, I want to be a client's first phone call. When they have an issue, I want to be the call that they're making. And I'm not talking about, you know, executive level creating. I'm talking about like, you know, major talent acquisition challenges. And if you could be, it doesn't matter what company you're in. If you could be a client's first phone call, if you're part of their solution or their problem process, that's a whole other, that's a whole other level of relationship. That's a partnership.
0: Yeah. It's a different conversational together. It?
1: just it's absolutely. moves it you know, away from
0: the transactional.
1: And by the way, and you want that with your own team members, your, I don't want to say employees, the people that you work with. You want to say, look, I have a problem. Let's talk about it. And I, and I don't want you to think that I, I hope you're not bringing me your, you know, your own laned, you know, in your own lane solution that's going to only benefit you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when you're a client's first customer, it's you want to be their partner. You want to tell them what works, what doesn't work, et cetera.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm doing some work at the moment on um the professional services sector specifically, but I'm looking at other areas as well because I've been the CEO of a law lawyer, law firm, and I've I've interned with law firms, um, and I and I did quite a bit of reading during the lockdown periods, and read the John Doerr book "Measure What Matters," and um, and I've, I've looked into the in more depth at the whole OKR um, process, All right. and love
1: it. Uh, so t- I'll tell you something. Uh, I spent about three years out in Silicon Valley, and, and learned a ridiculous amount there. And you, you know, they're three thousand miles away from here in New York. But it's a, uh, it's a different culture. And I understand, I, I, actually, sorry, I'm beginning to understand why Silicon Valley works. I've been reading a lot about it, scaling and all the other books that they sort of created there. But, you know, there's another, there's a really serious theme that comes out of Silicon Valley, which is a trend starts with a single data point, right? So in the East Coast, if a customer called up complaining, you would say, okay, we got one complaint. Let's see what happens tomorrow. Yeah and and oh we got another complaint okay so that's two complaints but we got six other phone calls so that's two out of six that's pretty good let's see what happens the next day yeah. oh three people complain yeah but we got nine other phone calls so three let's see let's see if this happens tomorrow
0: yeah
1: and in on the west coast in silicon valley the first time a person called and complained the assumption is that thousands of people are going to call and complain so let's go you know, so solve, solve problem. this problem let's go solve this problem right now yeah and what that allows them to do and it's a great is to really get ahead of that hockey puck as fast as possible. Another U.S. expression, right? You want to be where the hockey puck is going, not where it is. And if you start to say, "Gee, the hockey puck's moving in that direction," okay, then it's going to keep going in that direction. So let's actually jump ahead and and really get ahead of that hockey puck. And it's a it's really a great lesson from Silicon Valley. I learned I learned a lot of others, but I, I think I look at my experiences as really a culmination of now where I am today. Fifty, I'm about to be 54 years old. You know, so a little bit more mature. And I think the primary difference, David, between CEO at 54 and CEO at 21 is I really trust my gut much better today than I did in 21. Yeah. Um, you know, I was always assertive. I was always open-minded. You know, my mother, God rest her soul, used to say, just because you say something with authority doesn't mean you're always right. Um I've been called a benevolent dictator. I've been involved in schools, you know. I was the president of my kid's school, and you know, other areas. You know, it's it, it's a uh, but you rely more on your gut when you're 54. You just have this. You, you certainly have a better sense of of who you are and what you're good at uh, now than I was at 21. And I I think the other thing that you know that I like to think is that I'm better at seeing the best in people, right? So my goal as a CEO is really to figure out what makes a person fantastic. What are they awesome at? What are they great at? And how do I put them in a role where they are going to be fantastic? You know, at 21, you got this ego, right? But at 54, I want you to be, fa- in other words, I want this podcast to be amazing because I want you to be amazing.
0: Well, that's very kind of you.
1: Okay. Thank you very much. Well, you're helping, no, you're, I, well,
0: I, you're helping I, it along the way nicely. Thank you very much. <laughs> what I was going to say is, know- there's, there's something good in everybody. I mean, I, that's a philosophy that I took with me in, in, in. There is something you can find, and and people tend to find uh, a negative, or they they overthink situations, or they they see problems where there aren't problems until they actually get to understand and know somebody. And, and I was I, I'm a big believer in EQ and empathy because it can be distinctly lacking in some organizations and it and it, and it spreads through the culture of an organization. Yeah, I
1: would agree. So we have, we have our own core values at recruiter.com. Um, and it's really be bold, uh, be an owner, be bold and be human. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So be an owner, take responsibility for your own destiny, own a problem. Um, it's not just about seeing a problem. You see a problem, you get involved with that problem. Uh, be bold, take risks, uh, tr- fail, fail quickly, uh, don't be afraid to, uh, raise up and, uh, and, and take a shot on goal. You know, you, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take, right? So be bold and then finally be human, be respectful, appreciate that everyone has something to offer a conversation, be collaborative, you know? So I think when you look at those three core values, that really is what we all should be striving for, right? Be an owner, take responsibility for your, for your own destiny, uh, take risks, you know, be in the front of the class. Don't be sitting in the back of the class. Be bold and then finally at the same time there's a human element to what we need to do right there's there's greatness in everybody and we have to figure we have to find out what that is and make everyone better
0: and what we're, what we're discovering right now let's bring this to the um, recruiter.com role and the market that you are in the midst of right now which is it's crazy uh, times with the the backfill of jobs that need to be filled right. and we we are mirroring there's there's a very similar situation across the pond in the, in the UK and in Europe that there is in the US. Uh, a lot of thought and talk in the UK is about Brexit and decisions that were taken, but I'm not so sure that is the case. I think there's been a mindset and I think there's a term that you use called the great resignation. Yeah. Uh, and I, can you just explain that to me? Because that's not- that's yeah. Not yeah. So, so I'd like uh, to hear about that.
1: Yeah, no problem. Um... We actually have an article coming out called "The Changing World of Work." I actually gave a keynote about it um, last week at a conference. Uh, look, anytime there's been any sort of macro climate economic event, you can go back to World War II. You can go back to uh, Black Monday, uh, October nineteenth, nineteen eighty-seven. You can go back to the dot-com bust in ninety-eight. You can go back to nine, Sorry, Y two K. You can yeah. go back yeah. to you know yeah. there, every 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 of these events the. The, the subprime mortgage debacle, every one of these events have actually caused something to happen that's never returned, right? So it was uh, it was uh, entrepreneurship that was really created by Black Monday. It, 1990s and the recession of 92 really caused outsourced uh, call centers to really take off because I want to reduce my cost of labor. Um, we could look at when did Amazon web services really start Sort of post subprime mortgage issue. I want to cut savings. I need to cut my my variable costs or those costs, et cetera. Yeah. So I think that these things were always hap- These things were already happening. Um, I think the 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 uh, the duration of an employee at a company has been decreasing decade over decade. Right? Our grandparents had one job. Our fathers might have had two. You know, you would have three or four, and you would you know you would tell your child, hey, make sure you stay at this job for at least two years. You know because you don't want to look like you're a flight risk um we were called job hoppers you know that was a bad thing the reality is you know where i now call this we're in the job hopper economy yeah um 60 of all millennials have no problem leaving the job within the first year it's a recent statistic so all of this bent up i've been sitting around same job i want to get out i want to experience new things and there are so many reasons for it, but there's a reason that in the US in August, 4.3 million people quit their jobs. Yes. So this is not, this is, while it seems like it's episodic, this is not. Episodic is the fact that there's 9 million people unemployed in the less talented labor space. That's episodic, That we'll get that back, we'll figure that out. What's not, what's not, what, what's not episodic, what's systemic, is that the average tenure at a job is now changing forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and I'm generalizing, but I'm not, right? Well, I am not generalizing. I actually wrote you know. a
0: book on generational diversity.
1: Uh, yeah, that's right.
0: It was published by Wilmington and, and this was aimed at the professional service sector as well. But the, the 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 facts are true for every for everybody. I looked at the average tenure and the data and and what's behind the generations, and the older generation would, would, would consider a job would be minimum 10 years the average tenure and as you're working through the generations from I'm I'm Gen X um and when you working the way and you're Gen X and as we work our way back through the through the through the generations uh to millennials and to Gen Z it's getting shorter and shorter and shorter right it's quite right. It's it's just something it's a process well, happening that's been accelerated.
1: It's an accelerating so I'll give you an analogy. Um two years ago so October 21st 2019 you saw a resume of a 30 year old who had been at the same company for 10 years, they graduated, they've been at the same company for 10 years. You and I, ten, two years ago, would describe that person as committed, yeah. loyal, steadfast, climbing the ropes. Yeah. Two, two, October, 2021, describe that person. Risk averse, not willing to stretch their own horizons. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I heard the word lazy, you know, so now again, we're generalizing. We're generalizing. But if you're, this isn't about Evan and David. This is about the 25 year old who's been at the same company for five years or four or five years. Now they're saying to themselves, Do I keep staying at this company and look stale, or do I leave? And the reality is, their fathers now or their parents are going to say, Look, you've been at that company for five years. You you got to move. What's your next experience like? Hmm. So I and and by the way, so let's look at it this way. Um, I could work from anywhere, I could hire from anywhere, I could interview anytime I want because interview is now a video screen, right? So there's none of this, I got to leave the office for a day. And uh, there's, there's a talent shortage and high skilled labor and there's no stigma in leaving. Well, if there's no stigma in leaving, I can interview anytime I want. Oh, by the way, there's no geographic undesirable roles anymore, right? The number of roles that I had to turn down because I didn't want to move are tremendous. So think about anyone that wants to hire David. If I want to hire David, I could hire David. I don't care if I'm in Timbuktu or or anywhere. If I want to hire David, I could hire David. Because there's, no, there's just no geographical issues anymore. And again, I'm, I'm not talking about the factory work. I'm talking about the, you know, the, the knowledge, skilled worker, et cetera. You know, there's a skill set. Actually, if someone wants to hire you, it doesn't matter where it is. So every candidate in Amer- every candidate today is more valuable than they were a year ago. Every. From the ceo to the blockchain developer to the factory worker willing to walk into a factory so it just because it's so much easier now why not look at new opportunities why, why not do it you know david we used the expression not too long ago that looking for a job is a full-time job right i'm quitting my job because i want to find a full-time job i, I want to find a job and it's a full-time job looking for a job because it was hard this isn't hard this is easy no one's commuting. Everyone has an extra two hours a day. This is just so much easier now. So yes, this great resignation is happening because it's easy to happen and it's not going away. We're going to be moving into this work. Now it's hire work from anywhere. That's going to morph to hire from anywhere. There's no stigma of leaving roles. So I I just think we're into this really crazy uh, job market where to find David. Now, if I want to hire David, I used to have to interview Let's say I had to have a pool of 50 people to find David, right? Because once I find you, there's a limited number, you know, there's a, there's a limitation to it, et cetera. I might have to look at 300 people to find David now. Why? Because there, I have more opportunities, but so do they, right? So it's, it's just changed the way we actually look at things. You know, I remember I was the interim chief mark. I was the interim head of marketing for for the Americas for what became Samantha message labs. And, uh, you know, I was interim because they bought my company and now they were going to do a full search, etc. cetera. And the this, the chief marketing officer is one of the co-founders calls me and goes, Evan, good news and bad news. The, 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 the good news is uh, it's your job. The bad news is we went looking and all three headhunters came back with your name. So can you imagine like, because if you're in the New York area and you were talking about security and marketing, I was the guy. Like that's, can you imagine that now in 21? I'm so underqualified to be that role. There's so many more people more qualified to be that. So I just think that the rate of which people are going to leave jobs and, you know, this is the golden age for talent acquisition. So, you know, I I could leave you at that line, right? If if everything is now, you know, there are more people that need to be hired. That means the top of your funnel needs to be much, much wider in terms of candidates that you're looking at. And at the end of the day here, no matter how many commercials you see on Indeed and ZipRecruiter, no one is getting hired without speaking to somebody. The, recruiting is a human interaction. Now, unfortunately, we probably spend way too much time finding the people and not enough time speaking to them. And whether that's them or the client, et cetera, we are out to change that model uh, and, and give you, you know, 20% of the time should be spent actually finding people, using our tools, and 80% of the time should be spent actually having a conversation. Because now more than ever, you need to make that match, that so this what, relationship.
0: My understanding, my best, better understanding of, of your company now is that it's helping to to, to, re-engineer, and in terms of timing, perfect, because of the scale of what's happening right now. The recruitment industry needs to change to be able to accommodate the situation it finds itself in. And and, and this has been been mentioned for decades about the need for the recruitment industry to change. Well, now it hasn't really got a choice, has it? Um, No.
1: You know, that old model of paying a headhunter, You know, thirty percent of a salary for someone that's going to last, you know, two years—that's that's that's broken. Now, I think it exists for very high-level roles, and you know, the senior vice president of whatever it is—that's fine. But when you need a hundred Java developers quickly, that's just not the right way to do it. And you can't scale your own team fast enough. And the reality is, you know, we've been outsourcing elements of our businesses for a long time now, right? Whether it's legal, you know, we might have an in-house counsel. But if we're having an SEC violation, we're bringing an SEC attorney. Yeah, if, we're, exactly. if we're buying a company, we're gonna bring an M&A attorney. We don't just pretend that our general counsel knows everything. In fact, that would be kind of silly. We all go to a doctor, right? We all have an internist that we use, but if we have an eye problem, we're, we're gonna to go to an eye doctor. And we don't say, oh, by the way, I churned my eye doctor. No, I used the eye doctor. He, dev- he delivered the value that he needed and then I'm done with him. And we're doing this on-demand thing. By the way, our auditor's on-demand. Our call centers on demand, our, our web services on demand. There's so many things that we've been doing on demand. and the, by the way, the, the gig economy has been growing. why isn't talent acquisition in order to handle the uh, the ebbs and flows, the, the pandemic levels and the non-pandemic levels? Why aren't why you know and that's what we're really doing. We're reinventing the recruiting industry, allowing companies of all sizes to augment their hiring, whether it's the CEO or the global head of talent, who says look i need a recruiter of this size that looks like this you know that's got this level of experience for the next three months and pay them for the time pay them like you're paying an accountant like you're paying a lawyer like you're paying a doctor paying for their time and when it's done thank you so how does that how does it actually work so, so walk us through a typical example of yeah so companies come to our website uh we have a job board they could just post up a job uh for a recruiter all about talent acquisition they could say hey i'm looking for four recruiters i'm looking for recruiters etc uh, we have a number of different job boards uh, if they're looking for our tools if they're looking for pipeline they sign up for our tools we have incredible AI uh, artificial intelligence search and engagement tools uh, with over 160 million indexed profiles diversity everything so just amazing tool set we, we are delivering you know our tools and we have our on-demand recruiters working our tools so we provide a full service to our clients and our clients are everything from startup companies to, you know fortune 50 companies um and it really depends on what you're looking for but at the end of the day here every client that we have needs talent they either want they either need pipeline of talent they need more candidates and they use our tools to find more candidates uh or they need more talent acquisition professionals recruiters in-house and they're using our tool our platform to actually retain those people uh a client need says they need uh three recruiters two senior level junior level there's an hourly rate and uh we 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 use our platform. We engage the recruiter. The recruiter, to work like Upwork or Fiverr. Yeah. So we're like Fiverr for recruiters or, you know, tongue in cheek, we're Uber for recruiters. I need a recruiter. I need this type of recruiter with this level of skill set. Uh, this person is $100 an hour. You'll pay them $100 an hour. You pay them through the platform. And we take 20%, 20 to 25%, depending on, depending on the scope. If you need our tools, we charge on a, on a subscription basis. Um, combining the two together is incredibly, incredibly powerful.
0: Do do other recruitment so other recruitment agencies should be part of this platform?
1: Yeah, so the uh, our clients include startup companies, high growth companies. Let's call them the sophisticated companies that have lots and lots of hiring needs. Um, and then we work with recruiting firms all day long. So we work with very large recruiting firms that need more recruiters. And then our supply, right, the people actually delivering all the services, are independent recruiters. So we don't actually, we only have a few recruiters in house. Everyone that we use are really your, your audience, you know, it's the freelance recruiter that's looking for hourly work and we're, we're bringing them opportunities that they would never get on their own.
0: That's great. And and in terms of the scope of this, is this, is this primarily the U S or are you, you global? Um,
1: I, I think the latest number was 80, 20, about 80% of our businesses in the U S 20% is outside, but we're getting pulled into a lot of outside opportunities. Um, so it's, uh, it's ah, uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, in terms of, I, I think the the work from anywhere and the hire from anywhere is really propelling our recruit from anywhere, uh, re- recruiting from anywhere. And I think that be- really is
0: a need for a global presence. You know, the, yeah, and so, there will be there will be a number of entrants who go into this market. But
1: there needs to. That's be. right. So here's the interesting thing. We had we had a client that called us up, um, and. Gee, we need to we need recruiters here in the US and in Singapore. What can you do? And we're like, all right, done. Within four days, we were done. We had a team doing it. Wow. Like there few, I don't know who else can do that on an on-demand basis other than us. So no one really has. And, and again, I, I don't mean to brag and boast, but like I'm proud. Like no one in the recruiting world has what we have. No one does this on an on-demand, turn-on, turn off basis, like literally month to month. You know, client says, Oh, I need these recruiters, and when it's done, it's over. They didn't like one recruiter. Swap them in. Swap them out. It's an on-demand platform. Yeah. Um, right. I need a candidate tools. Great. Uh, pipeline tools. And we're delivering this all on a global basis. And do, do with the
0: traditional way of working. It just to by a comparison with the UK. Um, would you have found that agencies would be charging the obviously a percentage of the final salary?
1: Yeah, and I hate that model. Yeah. Oh. So, oh hey. Uh, you know. <laughs> just. Uh, The 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 answer is that, you know, our our biggest, you know, so if you would say, who's my biggest competitor, it's actually the in-house, it's really not recruiting agencies. It's really the in-house talent acquisition team at the company. So it's the startup CEO goes, I'll just post on ZipRecruiter and in LinkedIn and see what happens. And we're like, great, if you could do it on your own, go do it on your own. You're you're coming to us because you don't want to do it on your own. You know, fundamentally, there have always been two ways to hire. You either do it yourself. Or you hire someone to do it for you, and you did it yourself because you don't want to pay thirty percent of a salary or twenty percent of a salary to someone else. We're changing that model. We are absolutely changing that model. You know, when I need a driver to take me from here to the airport, I don't hire a driver and look, onboard him and talk to him about his feelings and where he wants to be in year. I go to Uber, I get a driver, he comes, picks me up, takes me where I'm going. You know, it's why isn't talent acquisition? And again, I, I don't mean to be tongue and I don't to be cheeky. You know, but why isn't talent acquisition as simple as that? Now, there are other nuances there, but finding the right person, that's what we do, right? By the way, if you needed legal counsel in a specific area that you're not a specialist in, you're not going to bring them on full time, right? And you're not going to pay someone, well, look, if you actually do this deal for me, then I'll pay you. No, you find the right person with the right skill set. Come in, do my work for me. I'm going to pay you by the hour, by the project. And when it's over, thank you. Go your own way. By Simon. That's right. Why, why why and and talent acquisition should be that way too. No one is no one should be expected to know everything. And when you go to any any significant company now, they're hiring engineers, they're hiring back office people, they're hiring front office people, they're hiring sales people, they're hiring what there's so many different types of people to hire. Why should one recruiter know everything? They they shouldn't. They should manage a team. Why should an in-house counsel know everything? What he should know is exactly what he needs to know when to hire the next person.
0: So, looking at this situation, we're in, there's a number of businesses in both, obviously globally, a number, a lot of businesses that are struggling to fill vacancies. I think in the um, in the UK, the record number of vacancies, but the highest number it's been since records began. I think there's over yeah. a
1: million. Yeah. By
0: comparison to US, it's probably small fry, but it's still it's a million jobs unfilled. Yeah. Um, And and that seems to be an ongoing issue. I think I read a stat in the states that there's something like 1.1 million females who haven't come back into the work, Right,
1: right. You know, are there
0: underlying things that are, that are going to- Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. You know, look, the, uh, the, if it was easy, we wouldn't be here, right? If it was simple, we wouldn't be here. And look, you know, in the end, I, I became CEO. Look, let's go back to the beginning. I became CEO in May of 2020. I called the board meeting. I was chairman of the board. And I said, look, everybody, you know, There are a series of stocks that are shut down stocks, right? Shut down companies, Peloton, DoorDash, your equivalent, Netflix, you know, grandma, grandpa are not going to have a subscription to Netflix. Uh, I said, when this is all finished, the job market is going to be an absolute disarray. And someone's going to have to be there to help companies rehire and help people get rehired. And that's what I want to do. I've been mission driven my whole life. And i said i will stop what i'm doing and i'm going to come be the ceo and the co-founder miles jennings shifted over to the right you know uh, on the seat he's now the president of the company and we've been on a mission to help people help companies find the talent they can't find help people get rehired and that's what we celebrate you know we celebrate when people get hired we celebrate the placements that we made you know when i look at a success we had a densu is one of our clients the fifth largest advertising company on the planet Using our tools and our platform and our on-demand recruiters, we delivered for them 128 hires in 90 days. Wow. Okay, now that's exhausting and their project leaders didn't sleep, but the reality is we did 140 in, four, in, in, we, we did 140 in like in four months. Like we, it was an amazing, amazing success, not because of the money we made, not because it proved out our tools. Those are all secondary. We got 128 people hired for a company in 90 Well,
0: you talk. There's, there's 128 conversations happening right there because that, at least, well, that, that, at that least, at Sorry. least, at least, and of, like usually, but but at least you know you're gonna to have to contact these people. You have to have a conversation. That's right. That's right. The Whole process.
1: And like you know, what a thrill! You're making a life. You know, you're you're changing lives in in a really immediate future. And at the end of the day, here, you know, we could all look at. We could all sit in the back of the you know the car watching the job market and watching the open jobs and watching these issues and we could say how's this all going to happen or we could get in the front of it and go look guys we're here to help so tell us your problem let's go help you and by the way our clients include large trucking companies manufacturers uh you know obviously the technology companies looking for highly skilled labor, but we're we're working with call centers, getting them um, call center operators. You know, we're we're doing everything possible to help these companies rehire their employees, find new employees, expand their businesses, etc.
0: We need you in the UK, we do need one or two truck drivers right now. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we all do, and and yeah, and, and a few other roles as well. So directly, what advice would you give to employers right now who are let's say that they are they've got a they've got a, a gap uh they, they've got some backfilling to do they've got a bit of a crisis what's what's the simple solution i mean obviously
1: you got, you got to step your foot on the gas you know you got to increase the the numerator and you got to increase the people working with the denominator you got to increase the number of candidates that you're seeing uh, and don't kid yourself thinking that you're not going to have this problem if you're not having this problem um real serious companies you know clients of ours really serious high-tech companies are going from a 2% churn to a 15% churn in employees. Crazy, crazy numbers. So you you better keep your foot on the gas, constantly looking for what sort of talent that you need to be hiring. I would also suggest start building a bench. You know, if you're a company where you're, how do you get people out of college? Well, I, I like hiring people with three years of experience. Everybody likes hiring people with three years of experience. Why don't you be the company that gives them the first three years of experience? You know, create a program where you're taking people out of college or one year out of college and you're building a bench, give them something simple to do, you know, build that bench and move them on. Um, Recognize that that your new generation of workers are not going to be there for more than three years. So consider that. Gee, in two years, they're going to be looking to leave. So give them something else to do. Move them, sell them to a client of yours, right? Create a process where you're moving people around. They're going to want another experience, make it happen for them.
0: But that all speaks to me of, of having a very active and positive alumni.
1: That, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's so these you, are, you know, these are all like crazy. Th- and, and, I, and I think the final thing is, I, really, I know we have these, these big issues today, right? One and a half million women not work in the workforce, nine million people unemployed. I, I get it. Those will all be solved. We're going to solve those in the next 12 to 18 months. But this is not going away. This problem is here to stay. And the problem is that we are now entering a job hopper economy. And if you ever take your foot off to get, you know, that's like saying, I don't need any more customers. Oh, I'm good with customers. I don't need any more customers. No, no one today would ever say, I don't need any more customers. I don't know. I'm good. I'm good. No one would ever say that. Or more importantly, you know, that's a short-sighted thing to say is I don't need any more customers. Guess what? I think the candidate world, that supply chain of candidates, you, you you have to examine your supply chain. I know we have supply chain crises around the planet. Your supply chain of candidates, you, you got to rethink your overall strategy.
0: Change the mindset. Um, That's right. I know you've given me a, a good chunk of your time today. and I know you're a really busy guy. Um, one final question I want to ask you, which is your advice, your tips. And I'm going to focus on somebody who's got a portfolio career because you you've, you you sort of look after five different roles as best I could determine from you you're yeah. a busy busy man what's your advice for somebody who who's spread across those roles and I know Recruiter.com is very very key to you at the moment you're really putting a lot of time into it but how do you manage those other roles and how do you keep the passion
1: uh, okay yeah so, so uh I am entirely focused at Recruiter.com right now Recruiter.com keeps my passion um, I'm involved in the product strategy and sales and mark. I, I, I love what I'm doing now. Uh, the foundation really is, uh, you know, unfortunately, because of uh, of the pandemic is a little bit more on the quieter side. Um, so completely focused at recruiter.com. I, I think the key really is to surround yourself with people uh, that really take ownership of the challenges ahead of them and to be very specific in the challenges, uh, very tangible Uh results for them. And I think this is, I think society-wise, because we're not face to face, um, we are moving into a metrics-based society. And I've always been in sales, so sales has always been no one ever said to a sales guy, Well, how many hours did you put in last month? It's what did you close? So in sales, we've always been in a in a metric-oriented society, and I think making sure that we give out the right metrics, still being human, you know. But the right metrics, everyone knows what they need to do to get their jobs done. Um, and then, for me as CEO, really ensuring that I have a great team uh, to really deliver on those things. And and re- what what I really what I what I really like to do is figure out what what a person's great at and make sure that they're in a role where they're going to be great. And this goes back to something we talked about before. Yes. You know, yes. putting someone in a role where they're not great—that's not good for the long term. That is not good for the long haul. And by right. the way, Final thought for you is there's a difference between what you're great at and what you like to do, right? I like to fish. I'm not great at fishing, right? I, I, sp- I present really well. I don't fish really well, but I actually like to fish. So yeah. it's really important to make sure that, you know, you focus on what you're great at and, and hopefully what you're great at is something that you like to do. But yeah. in the end, yeah. you know, at, to drive success is not always doing the thing you like to do.
0: Yeah. And the self-awareness of knowing actually where you're, right. Right? and and being able to compensate for that. Evan Soane, this has been a tremendous conversation. I know that uh, you do have lots of commitments today, but and I, the, the conversation has been fabulous because it shows a different mindset for something that has been challenging me for uh, for a number of years in, in roles previously. and And I only hope now that we can start to see some real dial shifting in the way that recruitment works. And I would love to have another conversation with you about how that could happen in the UK.
1: Uh, Absolutely. So let's do this. Let's talk again in 90 days from now and see where we are in the world. How's that?
0: That sounds good to me. Excellent. See you you then, Dave. Thanks so
1: much. Cheers.
0: Find out more and join our growing business community by visiting (laughs) hresource.co.uk. Oh, you don't you don't you don't